What's next for IT? In today's economy, technology touches every aspect of the day-to-day operations of business. There has never been more pressure on IT to deliver for our organizations. So what can we expect over the next decade? We need to think differently about how we approach our work to continue to thrive into the future. This requires all of us to be intentional in how we look at our role going forward. Smart IT is an approach to getting the important things done by transforming the way we think, work, and lead. And now, let's disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk the Smart IT way. Hey, hello there, Jerry. Hey, William, how are you? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. I really appreciate you joining me today for the Smart IT Podcast. Kind of an interesting place to kind of hang out with interesting people in the IT space to chat about what's next for IT. So definitely appreciate your time today. My pleasure. I want to make sure I get on the good side of smart IT. So when it takes over the world, I'm on the good side. It looks at me as one of the friendlies, not the foes. Ah, There you go. I appreciate that. So I've been thinking of the last couple of years about IT and my journey in this field for the last 24 years, seeing some interesting things uh, across this time space. So it seems to be getting more complex, uh, more, um, more challenging. So I've seen it from the inside, the offices of IT, outside the offices of IT. As we continue to deal with the business challenges, I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of um, set the table for some of my friends to come on to talk about what's next, right? Uh, from an IT professional standpoint, to get a, get a better feel for what should we, we should be looking for. Uh, what are some of the cool, challenging, and interesting things we should be all be looking at? So I said, let me call up Jerry here. So I know you've been thinking about some of the uh, risks that are introduced for all the new cool technology that IT produces. Uh, so all the uh, risks that are introduced into the business and what's going on in the global market. So I said, let's uh, let's have you on here and have a little conversation about this. Uh, sounds great. I think you got a great podcast here, and I think this is going to be very cool to have this conversation. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, so I always like to start off this with talking about a little bit about IT in general, kind of the, its main purpose and its value to the business. Uh, a lot of times, IT professionals can get lost in the weeds on, like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? You know, why we're designing these uh, new infrastructures and why we're building new applications. So I always like to kind of start there, the, the purpose of IT. So you've been in it for a while. Just your general thoughts about what does IT do for the business? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I have been in it in a while. I always tell people the gray hairs on this side of my face are from work and the gray hairs on this side of my face are from children. So um, I think there's more on this side now because of, of, of work. It's funny, you know, it's a great question, William. And um, for anybody who questions the value of what IT does, we're on a, on, a, on a webinar from our remote houses in different parts of the country, having a, a real-time communication across the, you know, across the country, uh, like we're sitting next to each other. Um, you know, IT enables the business in the 21st century, and that will only increase. Like, uh, you know, IT performs one of the most valuable functions in the business in that most businesses exist for IT. Amazon, for example, wouldn't be what it is today without IT. Google wouldn't be what it is without IT. I think one of the challenges that IT has faced, though, is um, sometimes they get lost in a shuffle of, of conveying value, right? Conveying value and being valuable are two different things. There's no doubt of the value of IT, but somehow I think 
a lot of tech professionals I know and have worked with in the past struggle to convey their value to the business. And I think that's, that's how I delineate that because there's no doubt of the value I say with my AirPods in and my webinar on my high speed internet, you know, and there's no doubt of the value. It's, it's conveying and communicating value. I think that's the struggle. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, 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 sometimes uh, I teach somebody think of business disruption and speed to market and the speed pressure from the business as a bad thing. I almost think it's a good thing and just a way to understand what the C-suite is thinking about, right? So they're trying to uh, compete in a global market where it's time to value, right? Time to market. You got to move fast, fast, fast. So I think when IT professionals can take a step back and think about that, it's like uh, maybe IT's greatest value is just being faster because it helps their business compete, right? And it's all about surviving and competing in the marketplace. That's a good point. And, and it's a really good point, actually. It is about surviving and competing. And if you think about it, you know, um, 10 years ago, you know, we had YouTube, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have YouTube. Uh, then a couple of years ago, we got TikTok. And, and, just, and, and, and the reason I bring up that analogy is because what IT has done is enabled those kinds of mechanisms and media to be consumed in a very quick and easy platform. So the, the, the rate of change with what's possible with what IT has built the infrastructures they've put in place, the capabilities has enabled the business to go, hey, I can do this. I can I can do really cool new stuff. And that just really opens up the whole door. So you, you get to that pace of change and, and that speed. Business is moving faster now, but only because IT has enabled it to move fast. Like there's, there, you know, and, and I think part of the challenge is IT isn't, the value that IT brings isn't conveyed well enough because none of this happens without all the infrastructure, without all the cabling, without all the routers and the switches, everything that goes on beneath the server set doesn't seem, in fact, you know, if people don't convey the value, I think what you should do is take your boss, you know, one of the, one of the non-IT bosses, bring him into a data center one day and tell him there's an Easter egg. With, he's got to find like the blue light or the green light. And he's got he's to turn a green light to red or a red light to green and, and have them see what it takes. You know, that would be kind of fun, right? Bring them into your world and, and, and see what it shows. That would be kind of neat. You know, it's interesting you you you, um, you describe it that way. It's almost like when businesses talk about business transformation or digital transformation, in some sense, it's talking about like disrupting the status quo, right? The, the way we do business today, we need to change it. So either the competitor going to disrupt us, our business model, or we get out there in front and disrupt our own yep. business model. It's almost think about IT, that, that glue, like you said before, it's the enabler. It allows us to support the business, to disrupt the status quo uh, so it can be competitive in the marketplace. Absolutely. It's not only disrupt, and, and it's not just that the business is doing, uh, driving that because of IT. I'd argue IT is innovative as well, too. Like the, the innovations in IT actually are the disruption. You know, if you, if you think about it, a lot of the things that we do aren't, aren't terribly different. You know, I'm watching a video on a, you know, watch a video on TikTok versus YouTube versus TV versus something. It's still a video, but what's what's changed is how IT and IT professionals have disrupted the the capability and capacity of, of, of change. And I actually think IT is more valuable to this conversation than they than they realize. Uh, and they're driving more of the innovation. I think that's remember when when you know technology was first created, it was it was built for a purpose. It was built to solve a business purpose. The business said, "Hey, I want to be able to compute math faster. We need technology to do this." And then it, all of a sudden, technology started growing off on its own. You have Moore's Law, which is you know capacity and capabilities double every 18 months. And now you have the changes and the innovation that IT enables for it actually drives new businesses. So we're at the forefront, actually, of IT. We just don't see it necessarily from our perspective. 
Yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, the other interesting thing is this kind of dichotomy of as we make the technology easier to consume or easier to, cons- uh, to use for users and the business itself, it kind of uh, masks the fact that it's more complex in the background. It's almost like if you go into the uh, into the engine room of a ship, it's a lot of knobs, a lot of tubing, a lot of cabling. But to make it up front, to make it smooth on the bridge, it's a lot of work. And a lot of times the users in the business can't see that complexity. So I always am amazed at how IT hides that complexity and makes the interface much easier for the user. It's funny. I love that analogy as well, too, because when you said that, it brought one of my... Yeah, I, I like this movie. It's a movie called Battleship, released, I don't know, five, ten years ago or something. It's, it, you know, talks about advanced Navy warships, and then they have to go back and pull up a, a warship from World War II, and they walk into the, the guy from the advanced ship walks into the, you know, the the, the battleship from World War II and goes, whoa, because he's just mind-boggled at, the, at the, how simpler it was than what they're dealing with today. But the capacity, the, the capabilities are still there. I, I mean, I look at my iPhone, I, you know, first of all, you can't take an iPhone apart, as an example. Back in the day, I still have an old desktop computer, you know, an old tower computer here that used to take apart, build out, changed out parts and swapped out these things because it was fun. But now you can buy a a computer and it's all self-contained and it's so simple. We we tend to not, we solve problems. IT solves problems. It's one of the best things that, you know, when you get into IT, one of the coolest things that you do is you solve problems. You're a problem solver. You make things go away. Yes, technically you solve problems, but you don't solve all the problems. You solve one problem and then move on to the next one and then the next one and the next one. So by, you know, making things simpler, as you said, so that on the bridge you can, uh, you can see, you know, you can do more things. You're not removing problems. You're just creating new ones because then someone's going to come to you and say, well, can I see farther and, and can I do more? And can I, and that's a great thing because that keeps innovation that keeps us engaged. So yeah, you, you're, you're spot on with that. The, the deltas between what we could do and couldn't do, uh, what we could do today versus then are huge. And I can't wait to see what's coming in the future because I think it's just going to be, I'm waiting for my Jetsons car. I want my I want my Jetsons car, right? That's what I want. Uh, I date myself. I admit it. What well, a fun thing for uh, IT professionals like an enterprise architect is actually diagramming all that complexity. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at all the different p- pieces and components from the compute to the storage to the network and to all the firewall and security controls in there, it's hard to actually diagram and see what that looks like. Yeah, so uh, Jerry, it's interesting when we're talking about kind of the, the architectural view of uh, presenting ideals back to the business and see what capabilities and services um, that they want to present and what those trade-offs look like from a cost standpoint. Uh, so I know other IT professionals who maybe don't have the, the EA title, they may be a developer. Uh, so he may feel a pressure to, hey, let's just put this code out here as fast as possible. But he also has choices, right, uh, him or her on what, what code should they use? What type of styling should they use? What approach they should, should use to push this code out there? And we found that one of the approaches is to get code out to the business faster have led to some uh, quality controls and bugs, right? So now Enterprise Architecture got this great infrastructure, the business waiting for this new capability for some type of digital transformation. Our developers takes a, a specific approach and he puts code out there and it makes it all the way through the pipeline into production. And then six months later, we find out there's a bug in there that's exploited by an adversary. So now we went from technology risk, um, over to a very specific on cyber risk side of the house now that kind of leads almost into a quality problem, right? So developers moving very fast. He has a different views from enterprise architect. Uh, 
also a different view potentially for somebody who's running the infrastructure, different from somebody who's in service, uh, the service desk area. So when we start talking about these professional skills and thinking systematically, let's talk a little bit about expanding that architectural view down to other professionals with different roles to start thinking about how does this system work? What are the trade-offs? And if the business is really pushing IT to get this thing out fast, how do I communicate it back to the business? It's going to take an extra couple of weeks to get this out so I can code this properly. So I don't introduce risk that could eventually uh, have the board of directors talking about a cyber breach. <laughs> That's a great question. And, and, and you, you let it in perfectly. This go, It's funny because this goes back to, there's two main skills I think that we need to continue to hone and develop throughout our careers. One is understanding that iron triangle of cost, schedule, and your uh, capabilities, if you will. But like those three things do not, it's a triangle for a reason because when you push on one side, you spread out the other two. Uh, and then the other thing is really around communication skills, communication skills, communication skills. I'm sorry, but the, the, the people who tend to find themselves advancing faster in their career are, are good communicators. I'm not, I'm not, it doesn't matter what your proficiency in language is. It's how well you communicate what you do and the end and why you do what you do. Cause your example is perfect, right? I mean, man, you just nailed it, right? You nailed a huge problem in it today. And it's not it's problem, by the way, it's, you know what we it's a business saying we need a feature done in six months that's gonna we know it's gonna take nine months but get it done in six months anyway so we, we compress the, we keep the schedule the same and the scope the same but we don't increase the cost to get the resources to do this and we create a risk i actually and this is you know this is where i spend most of my days now i actually deal with risk on, on from a pretty regular basis that is my world as i deal with cyber risk and one of the things that we try and communicate to people and i try and teach everybody from the developers who work on my teams to the IT guys to the consultants, you know, the RCS team as well too, is you have to understand that quality takes time and without quality you deal with risk. There's a whole, I mean, look, there's a whole vulnerability, uh, CVE, common vulnerability, CVE uh, world within cybersecurity that exists because for the most part, we compress deadlines and we don't communicate the risk of that well. But to your point, I think actually, and it fits in well with the same kind of uh, skill set you're describing as well too. As an enterprise architect or an IT professional, I can do lots of things. I can build code and I, I can write code. I can write good. I can write code with unit tests. I can write, write code without unit tests. If you say you're not going to give me the 25% of time to build a unit test, I'm going to raise that as a risk. I'm going to raise that a risk to my boss. And if I'm that developer's boss, I need to raise that risk. We need to communicate that risk. Now the challenge is picking on unit tests in particular. Business doesn't understand the value of a unit test. It's really hard to do that. So what does that mean? Well, and there are metrics that talk about if I do unit tests, um, it reduces the number of vulnerabilities by X percent. And if I reduce those number of vulnerabilities, therefore that cuts, that that saves us X millions of dollars in the future from going having back to fix this. So we have to figure out how to tell the story of the IT risk we're taking in terms of the business. So that, so that vulnerability you described there are metrics that talk about if you can if you reduce a vulnerability in development versus in post, you know, when it's in production, you save a tremendous amount of money. And that's a great example of how we as IT professionals need to be communicating correctly to the business. So almost sound like uh, quality is almost a, a fantastic and very powerful risk mitigation approach and strategy, right? So build it better up front so you don't have additional costs downstream. 
So Correct. I was, I mean, and it seemed like the quality question is sometimes it's muffled the messaging of it. So you went back to unit testing and it sounded like a uh, very technical babble to a person who says to do my unit testing, I need two more head count and I need yeah. X amount of dollars for this new tooling and I need yeah. to go get a partner to go integrate this tooling as we kick take me an extra six weeks. So then over on the other side, you have the project manager saying, whoa, 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 you're delaying my timeline. Yes. That's a lot of money more. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and and then you have these enclaves internally on different risk management practices. So a lot of companies are struggling with enterprise risk management. So you have technology uh, risk somewhere, cyber risk somewhere, financial risk somewhere. And then they're communicating in different languages, different styles, different tooling, different dashboarding. And all of a sudden you get this noise and confusion. And the business say, hey, forget the unit test. Let's get this code out the door. So you guys haven't communicated clearly in a way that the board can understand C-suite management all the way down to the front line. So I know you do a lot of work in the risk space. Uh, and it's kind of some interesting things about where we, where this is going over the next 10 years. Uh, how do I communicate risk in, this, in a way that's connected to the actual work that's being on the front line? And I think some people are worried that we're talking about, or they probably heard about cyber risk quantification. And some people worry about it. it's too high up there. It's very ethereal that there's numbers being thrown around, but it's not necessarily connected to what's going on, hands-on keyboard, the reality of what's going on the front line. So you can talk a little bit about connecting what's reality all the way up to these numbers that, that flows up to the management in C-suite. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and that is, it's interesting. That is what uh, we're finding the C-suite. So I spend my days talking to CISOs and boards of directors about this kind of financial risk and what's going on and why. And there comes a point in a conversation, uh, we, we call it, I'm a fan of this concept of either defensibility or traceability, right? So, I'll, I mean, I'll, we can pick on cyber risk, even the example you were giving before about the project manager having six, a six-week schedule slip from an IT perspective. You know, it's actually a good one because I'll use that one, but it's a, because that's a cyber risk as well, too. So if you've got a development team and they're building code and they tell you they need six weeks to do unit tests, and the project manager goes, oh, my God, I can't do that. You know, because I've got to get this thing out in two weeks because the business needs this because it's, you know, it's almost holiday. We sell a lot of you know, whatever it is. Uh, that's a cyber risk. That's not a business. That's not just a business risk. And so the thing you have to you have to be able to do is communicate that risk in a way that makes sense to everybody. So, for example, if I were to go to even, you know, one of our board of directors and say, hey, guys, we need to do more unit testing. I need to have I need half a million dollars more in six more weeks to do unit testing. And they're going to go unit what? Um, so I, I would have to convey that same concept in as a, as a risk to the business. So for example, you can say, look, where we're at now, if we deliver on the time frame that you're asking us to deliver on, we're going to increase the financial risk to the business by $10 million, as an example, because the odds of us having a vulnerability are 75% higher than if, than if we waited six weeks versus two weeks. Why? Well, because, you know, unit testing reduces that uh, likelihood of us introducing a vulnerability by 70% or whether whatever the number is. And, 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 and your management's going to go, okay. And then what they're going to do, and I've learned this, whether you're talking to a board about, you know, cyber risk and they turn to the CISO or in this case, an IT thing, they'll turn to the program manager or the CIO and go, is this right? Right. Is this right? And, and so you have to arm the CIO or the, or the CISO as well too. So they can say, yes. Now they, this, that, that next person, the CIO, the CISO or whatever, they need to have all the information, but they won't convey it all. They're just going to say yes, and here's the here's the fidelity. But guess what? You have to convince and show that traceability to that CIO or CISO as well, too, depending on which part of the organization you're dealing with. So whether you're that program manager reporting up to the 
um, you know, to the CIO because you're building the application that's going to get deployed, or you're the CISO who found out that, hey, you know what, they're not doing unit testing and they're increasing the likelihood of a vulnerability. In that eventual meeting at the executive level, they're going to turn to both of you and say, do you agree with this or not? And the answer is going to be yes with a little bit of conversation, but you have to have the depth behind that to go to know why. A, so the system needs to understand that vulnerabilities lead to this and we patch at this cadence and we've got these kinds of complicated, they need to know all that. That's not going to get communicated up, but it's got to be traceable down throughout your organization to, to create that level of comfort and defensibility for the organization. And, and that's the big thing, right? We, 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 it is a communications exercise at the end of the day, but communications has got to be done. I don't know. I might be wrong on this, but this, my philosophy is if, if, I'm, if I'm saying something and you're not understanding it, it's either because you don't understand it, which, okay, I can't control that, or I'm not saying it correctly. And I tend to err on the side of, I need to say it in a way that you as a uh, anybody else would understand. And so I think if we took on that as IT professionals and thought, well, you know what, I'm actually, I can explain to my mother what I do. I'll say it that way. Okay. You know, you have to be able to have that conversation and then talk to somebody else. And then talk. you've got to be able to have those different levels of conversations. And, and that's exactly how it's done in cyber risk throughout the business today. I'll bring up a couple of interesting points here. So it sounds like one, we got to reduce the amount of waste that we have with the meetings that are not uh, providing new value. So we can lock in yeah. our ability to have these real conversations. So it's not yeah. like some people are waiting for these internal organizational transformations, waiting to, to move the CISO out from under the CIO. So you got the official board meeting. <clears throat> but it sounds to me like we have the communication tools in place. Everybody knows where everybody sits on the floor. They're really not stopping anybody from going to CISO to go have a conversation with a board member right now, right? To help communicate that. So it seems to be keep going back to how are we teaming with each other? How are we working with each other? And are we on the same page? So it's not just a service desk complaining about all these service tickets created because somebody just rolled out a new uh, uh, system uh, update to a, a thousand or 10,000 machines. It's like, we're all on the same team here. So it seems like a lot of problems are still happening because we have a lack of leadership at the top that are empowering their teams to be on the same page here. So let's talk about this leadership setting a culture, setting the tempo that literally everybody in the organization, inside of IT, outside of IT, can, can hey, pick up their phone and send a chat message and say, I'm concerned about X. And having people comfortable say, let's give you feedback and say, I have absolutely no idea what you just said to me. A lot of times they'll just let it go. They'll just let it pass. Or you probably seen the, the big call with a hundred people on the exact same call and a, a one poor person who spent six weeks presenting that presentation, prepping it. And there's a hundred people and no one says like, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you pause? Let's get this clarified. Let's put something up on the screen. When I call this a high level risk, what do you mean by that? And what are the dependencies? What are my options? So let's talk about this. This Let's put this only back on the leadership to create the right culture here so people feel comfortable teaming, communicating, and getting things done at speed. Boy, you couldn't have said that better. I mean, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, I think um, it's, it, there's, there's a challenge in leadership in a lot of organizations. Um, because what a leader needs to do is a leader needs to be able to, so, so here's, here's the thing. There's a difference between being a leader in a business and being the smartest person in the room. Um, I, I, I know that I'm not the smartest person in the room when I'm by myself. So like that makes it easy because I, I, again, I'll date myself. I, when I used to drive around, you know, if I got lost, I'd stop at a gas station real quick. This is before GPS and phones. Okay. We had to use these things called maps. I don't know if you remember them, you know, you know, paper maps when you get lost. I, I hate, I hated being lost. And I think that for me has helped 
because the leaders that I've been able to work for, the ones that have done the best have been like, look, my job is to make sure that you as the team that works with me and for me has the ability to succeed. Like we need to, we need leaders who go, look, my job as a leader is not to be the loudest, the smartest, the most talkative. My job as a leader is to make sure that you are empowered and that you can do your job. In fact, one of the questions I believe all leaders should always be asking is what can I do? To, what do you need for me to do your job well today? Like, what do you need to succeed? And, and you're right. I've been in those meetings with a hundred people <laughs> and, and nothing gets done. So a couple of simple things I've learned over the years is um, I, I, I've done a lot of Scrum. I've done a lot of software development over my, and, and Scrum, there's three standard questions that get asked, right? What did you do? What are you doing? And what's in your way? I, I keep it simple. Like a lot of things should be simpler than they are today as a culture thing. Because if you ask those three questions and you create a culture where you're supposed to say, what problems am I dealing with and what's in my way? Guess what? You're starting to draw that out. Because then that person who's doing unit testing is like, I don't have enough time to do my unit testing. Okay, great. And if you prove to yourself as a leader that you're willing to hear that person, and by the way, it's not just hearing and go, yeah, thank you, goodbye. It's it's acting and engaging on that. that, that that's incredibly important because you want uh, to, you, I mean, you couldn't have said it better. That was, that was exactly right. You want that kind of culture where you have that continuous feedback loop and people feel empowered to, to make those observations. And, and empowered is a key word because you can't be like, well, you know what? Hey, William, you, you, you told me you were going to do this. I don't care if you can't make your deadline. You're, that, and that would be terrible, man, terrible. But I think, you know, it, it, uh, dealing with pressure is, is something that we all have to learn to deal with. You know, when I was a junior developer sitting in the corner writing like a little bit of code, it was my, my job was a little bit easier, a little bit less stressful. And we have to continue to learn, right? The, the, more, the more responsibility you're given, the more stress, and you have to learn how to deal with it. So, oh, man, that culture question, you just nailed it spot on. And for me, the thing is, you have—it's—it's it's being willing to know that you're not—you don't have the smartest person in the room is not necessarily the best leader, and vice versa. So make sure that you find somebody who empowers you from a, a working perspective, and then go from there because that's the best kind of environment to be in, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree there. Because like the the better ideas or better options are sitting right on that call you had with those hundred people, and if you're like running that meeting and realize. Only two people have made comments. Maybe like eighty percent of people are off camera. It's like maybe those eighty percent could be off the meeting and go and do uh, the work. Maybe, maybe they could be doing well, unit testing instead of yep, turning them down. Or something. Right? Because like, so um, I know someone said you should always do the work inside the meeting, right? Instead of about talking I think about Amazon work. did this well. Yeah. Amazon did this well. They they have like a you know they make they do some great they have a great philosophies on meetings. I'm a fan of if you if you think I'm going to have a two hour meeting, I'm going to have a standing two hour meeting then, because you know what happens if you're forced to stand for two hours in a meeting? You get the meeting done really really fast. You get to the high points really really early. You'll get the stuff done needed. Like there's there's philosophies and ways to encourage useful meetings because you, you're right. We have a lot of meetings that are we waste a lot of oxygen. I think we waste a lot of oxygen. Yeah, so I'm hoping uh, IT in the future gets a little bit smarter there and how it uses this time, how it collaborates more. And let's not wait for the next organizational reorg, the next one, wait till the beginning of the year for it. If you got a hundred people on the, in, on the call, the answers you're looking for are probably there. And if all a hundred people agree that, Hey, let's run it without the unit test. Let's get this code out there. Just make sure when you do the thumbs up that, Hey, what would the chief legal officer think about that? What would a marketing person think about uh, that? So if you're getting green lights across the board, I think that that's really good. 
So where I see it we're falling down is there's no official risk management exemption process. It gets siloed. So people are taking on these extra risks. But hey, the business may think it's, it's fine and okay, but we just have to have a process there to say, as a company, we're good to go. So our CEO doesn't have to be, uh, go in front of Congress and go say, <laughs> Joe's fault that this thing uh, didn't work out. It's like, Joe, one guy. They're like, no, yeah, no, right. no. There's a process That's in place funny. to, to kept protect us, right? So everybody from compliance and uh, the risk groups, the business, all in agreement. And we just got to really streamline this communication stream. Right? We can't be waiting for tomorrow necessarily for things when we got people right in front of us. That room is very, very smart, right? So, I mean, those leadership skills, those communication skills, team building, I mean, just critical here to get things moving and flowing. So uh, when I look to get smart IT, I'm thinking about faster, quicker, and smarter decisions. And then we're making uh, prudent business decisions, business in mind of what we're doing we're doing those keyboard uh, activities. I, I, yeah, I mean, that's just spot on. I think it's interesting. You said something there. I, I'm going to tie back something you said earlier as well, too. I think risk is not managed well inside most organizations. And I think part of the challenge is, so I, I spend my days in cyber risk, and the challenge in cyber risk is that the cyber cybersecurity changes so fast, right? And it's, and, and it's, but it's also, that's enabled by IT. So the reality is IT changes so quickly whether it's in terms of what the attackers can do or the hardware that we deploy or the software that we deploy as organizations, it changes so quickly, risk hasn't caught up with that yet. So I think the IT, you know, IT and security professionals are becoming risk professionals as well too, because they have to, I mean, you said it, right? They have to be able to communicate the risk of what they're doing versus what they're not doing as well too, to enable those kinds of, you said that and it just triggered that. I was like, yeah, cause that ties it together, right? With, with IT changing faster, like think about it. You know, 20 years ago, we deployed software. It took a lot longer. Yeah. Now we can deploy it a lot faster. We had more time to think about the risks then than we do now. Now they're not getting communicated and managed well. And it causes issues. It's it causes big issues. Right. So someone said this cascading effect. Marketing department say we need to go now. Product team say I'm, I'm kind of almost there. Uh, uh, the enterprise architects like, I kind of got the components in place. Infrastructure looking around like maybe a little bit. Uh, compliance people say, whoa, 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 you're collecting what type of data? You got this sock saying, hold it. Where, where are the new alerts coming from? So all of a sudden right. people are like trying to figure out what's going on and it's going back. Are we always, are we looking at the same things when we're making these decisions here? So I always Absolutely. feel like if everybody sees the same type of data up front, same types of options, and I can compare cyber risk to technology risk. I compare that to modeling risk, financial risk. Mm-hmm. If in fact you're talking the same language and I think most people like the language of money, so it's like a good way to kind of standardize on to, to help make these choices. I, I found that everybody, you know, I, I deal with cyber risk all day long. I, you know, we put dollar values on cyber risk, and I joke with the IT people and the, the people in the SOC and say, why does this matter to me? I said, you like getting paid, don't you? Like, you get paid in dollars, don't you, or euros or whatever country. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, that's why it matters to you. This is a dollar thing for you. Oh, okay, yeah. I think that's part of the evolution. I think that's when you talk about your, you know, your smarter IT, I think part of being about smarter IT is, a more clear understanding and a, and a linkage to the business itself. The, the closer we're aligned to the business, I think the we'll, we'll go through a little pain to, in that evolution, but it'll be better for us in the end. Yeah. So for those listening um, on this podcast now, they could be have a title of a system analyst, business analyst, project manager, uh, infrastructure uh, architect, cloud architect. It could be the, the person who's doing threat and vulnerability management, can be the compliance per, uh, person. So there's a lot of different roles, different personas. 
and they sit back and look like, hey, next five, 10 years, there's a lot out there. Uh, any uh, parting words for this group is like, hey, what should I be thinking about today and developing my professional skills so I'll be prepared to really grow in my career and then just excel professionally? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, to me, it's it's funny. It's um, I've done a lot of different things in my career. I've been a developer. I've been in IT. I've you know been a cybersecurity uh, technician as well too. And the it really boils down to what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And to be candid, I'm still answering that question some days because you will most likely and you've done this as well, William. You have like two or three or four different careers within your career, right? You have two different tracks you end up. Whichever one you do. I would suggest really just two or three things. One is keep learning. You never stop learning. And the beauty of where we're at today is there's so many options and avenues to learn. You know, you can go online and do courses. I've taken online courses at Stanford because, wow, you know, how cool is that? Because because at the time I was going down a path, I needed some more knowledge than I had, and I went and learned it. So I would say one is always keep learning in whatever discipline you want to do. And if you want to stay technical, you're going to have to keep learning technical stuff all day long. But no matter what, I do think we everybody needs, especially in IT, all those roles and titles you mentioned, they all need to have those soft skills. You need to have some ability to communicate. And, and you know, you, you said it as well, too, working together as a team. That sounds so simple. But, you know, with look, we just dealt with a three-year pandemic where people were remote. Communications got harder. Collaboration got harder. That communication and collaboration is what will take you to the next step of your career, no matter what. Like, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if nobody knows it and you can't communicate it well, you know, your, your, your uh, opportunities will be limited. And so it's really simple for me. It's communications, being able to work together as a team and never stop learning. Cause, and there's, there's enough avenues for you to keep learning that you should always be learning something new. Fantastic, Jerry. It's like a great place to, to, to uh, stop right there. Uh, really, really enjoyed uh, your feedback and input today. Really think about a lot of value to IT professionals looking to see uh, and understand what's next. Well, it was my pleasure, William. I love what you're doing here. I, you know, uh, you, you got a great thing going on here. I hope you, I hope you continue to do this, and that one day it's, it's we're listening to William Reed and Joe Rogan, kind of you guys compete in terms of podcast go. levels. I think that'd be kind of cool, it. you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks for joining another episode of the Smart IT Podcast, where we explore what's next for IT and disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex and reduce risk together. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave your comments. And for more Smart IT wisdom, check out my website at williamreed.info.